sometimes old hymns like that bring back lots of memories. And uh, the, the one memory that will remain throughout my life is my four and five year old little boy and girl jumping on a, a trampoline down near the neighbour's back fence singing that very song. And um, it, just a, a, it wasn't the age where we had iPhones or anything like that, so there's no record of it. Um, you don't know how great it is to now take a record of everything your child does, but uh, there was no record of that, but it is in my heart and in my mind, and so it always brings great joy to my heart to remember that. Uh, praise the Lord. I want to give you a statement this morning as we turn to the book of Ecclesiastes, and that statement is that life is a gift, enjoy it. Life is a gift, enjoy it. I'm wondering if that's how you're feeling this morning. Do you see life as a gift? Are you enjoying it? Or are you one of those people whose life has become a bit of a grim marathon, a a grim marathon of misery or an endurance test just to get through it? Or you're full of frowns all the time or you're whining or you're groaning or you're sighing. Do you walk into a place and the room lights up? Or do you walk into a place and there's a depressing dark cloud coming in with you and the place just folds down? You see, for us as Christians today, joy is for today. Joy is available for you right now and and Solomon is going to be looking at that. But he's also looking at the fact that joy is inseparably linked to the living God. Joy is inseparably linked to the living God. Now, does any of you know the first catechism of the Presbyterian Church? I know we're all good Baptists here, but does anyone know the first catechism of the Presbyterian Church? You can tell me. Yep. The question is, what is the chief end of man? In catechism, you have a question and an answer. And the question is, what is the chief end of man? Now, you might be able to put a lot of things to that. But the answer in the catechism is, the chief end of man is to love God and enjoy him forever. Love God and enjoy him forever. I wonder if that's your uh, chief end as you sit here this morning. Notice it didn't say serve him or obey him or commit ourselves to him. Enjoy him. Love him, laugh with him through life. Of course, serving him and obeying him and committing ourselves to him come through the fact that we love God and enjoy him forever. Now, I don't know if this first catechism was derived from Solomon's journal here this morning, but it certainly could have been. Because in our passage, Solomon the wise is going to show all of us the value of enjoying life to the fullest no matter what's happening, whether you're young or whether you're old, whether you're somewhere in between. So please turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. We're going to be looking from verse 7. But in this passage that we're going to look at down to chapter 12 verse 8, Solomon is going to help us to celebrate the joys of life at any age, whatever age you are here this morning. But I want to point out that he will also point to the troubles that come from growing old. Why are you laughing? (laughs) (laughs) 
No. There's a few of us growing old. But the, the wisdom that God has given Solomon is now going to be used to give a series of instructions to us. Instructions that will help us to live a joyful life. No matter how young, no matter how old we happen to be. Two instructions are going to be to rejoice. There's going to be one instruction to remove and one instruction to remember. And you know, I didn't even have to alliterate that because Solomon did it for me. Rejoice, rejoice, remove and remember. Four things that he tells us to do and we're going to look at. And the first instruction is to rejoice. Rejoice in the goodness of life. Look at verse 7. The light is pleasant and it is good for the eyes to see the sun. Indeed, if a man should live many years, let him rejoice in them all. I love the way the New Living Translation says, it says, light is sweet, how pleasant to see a new day dawning. This is what he's trying to get across to us. The light is sweet, it is good for the eyes to see the sun, a new day dawning. Basically Solomon is saying it's good to be alive. Wake up and say it's good to be alive. What a beautiful day. The sun's shining, the birds are singing and all's right with the world. Do you have those days when you wake up even before the alarm? You're ready to go. You're all excited. Your back's not hurting. Your legs aren't hurting. Your relationships are working. We've all had days when we've, the music has sounded so much better and we just wanted to roll down the car window and let everyone know. Don't we, Alex? Solomon says, greet the morning with joy. The light's pleasant. It's good for the eyes to see the morning. Enjoy life. There's some amazing days ahead. Feel free to let out a little James Brown. I feel good. Look at verse 8. If a man should live many years, let him rejoice in them all. I love that. Rejoicing is to pervade all the years of our life, no matter how many there are. <coughs> Paul would bring that to us in the New Testament in chapter, uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. He would say that rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. So how do we do that? How do we deal with this command that Paul gave, rejoice in the Lord always, and where Solomon is saying, let's rejoice in all our days. I want to ask you a few questions. Do you enjoy the simple things of life, like the sunshine? Do you enjoy every moment you have with your family and your friends? whether you're 8 or 88, we're not to sit there waiting for tomorrow, longing for yesterday. One song says, yesterday is gone, tomorrow may never come, but we have this moment, we have today to live and enjoy life. And so the right way, according to Solomon and Paul, was to respond each morning by rejoicing. Praise God for the goodness of this life. Praise him for everything sweet you taste during the day, everything bright you see. Praise him for our salvation. Rejoice in the knowledge from, one Philipp, uh, from Philippians 1.6. He 
He who has begun a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. Rejoice in those things as you wake up. It's great to see the light. It's great to see the morning. Yet even as we wake up, even as we see the sun, even as we rejoice, we need to remember that there is more to life than sweetness and light. And Solomon's never let us forget that all the way through his journal. Look at the middle of verse 8. So not only are we to rejoice, it says, Remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. Ecclesiastes has always given us a realistic view of life. It's never painted this glossy picture. It's always given the truth. Yes, there are many things to experience in life, many great things, but the sailing won't be smoothed all the time. Some days will be bright and sunny. Other days will be dark and dreary. You see, Solomon has steadfastly refused to show us anything less than the whole life as it actually is. He's not glossing over life. And when he tells us that we'll have many dark days, he's not being cynical. He's not trying to rob us of all the joy. What he's doing is he's telling us to enjoy life as much as we can and as long as we can. You see, the days of darkness qualify what he says about rejoicing in all our days. They're they're qualified, but the days of darkness do not negate rejoicing in all our days. It doesn't say you can do one or the other. The days of darkness qualify the rejoicing. They don't negate them. In other words, there will be days of darkness, but there's rejoicing in there. You see, if we live this life without God, the end of verse 8 says, everything that is to come will be futility. And so what Solomon is doing here is returning to a theme that he's kept repeating in all his journal. If we are living merely a life that is under the sun without God, if we refuse to acknowledge the Lord and try to live without him, then you're on a dead-end road. All that is coming is vanity. Everything that is coming is futility. Yes, you can enjoy the many pleasures, but if that's all you have, you'll soon find that your life is very empty. If pleasures is all you have, life will be empty. In fact, it will be vanity. So even now, near the end of his journal... Solomon is still trying to whet our appetites, increasing our hunger for something more than this under-the-sun existence. He wants more than under the sun for each one of us. We need to live like... (coughs) Sorry. We need to live life fully every day in the Lord. In the movie uh, Braveheart, William Wallace, who is played by Mel Gibson, gave this one line, every man dies, but not every man really lives. And even though it had nothing to do with scripture, it's really a biblical assessment of life. Every man dies, but not everyone's going to live. The Bible declares that we will all die. We've talked about it and sung about it this morning. 
Yet many of us are going to miss out on the abundant life and the joy that God offers us. Even as Christians, we'll miss out on that. Why? How do we miss out on it? Because we don't see God in the everyday events of life. We don't see him in the good. I mean, we do see him in the good, but very rarely see him when we're down. We see him in the light, but we don't see him in the dark. And the reason we as Christians sometimes live without joyful lives is because we become self-independent. I'll make it on my own, thank you. I've pulled up my socks. Don't you love or hate that phrase? I'm going to pull up my socks on my own. I'm going to do it. I know where I'm going. I know how to get there. It's all right. Now, we may say that knowingly or unknowingly. We say it unknowingly when we don't even think of God in the hard times. When we don't think of God in the hard times, what we're saying is, God, I want to live independently from you. I can handle this. What I'm going through now, I'll handle on my own. But how can anyone say we're independent of God? The very fact that our heart has an electronic pulse that beats on its own is a, a, a gift of God's grace. The day it stops is the day we die. How can we say we're independent of God? You know, the joy that Solomon is talking about is not complicated. It really isn't. If my relationship with the living God is in place by faith in Jesus Christ, and if I can just take God's perspective of things and look at my life as it unfolds in the valleys as well as the mountaintops, amazingly joy accompanies me. If I can see God's perspective of things, even if I can't see God's perspective, sometimes he doesn't draw the curtain back. We know that God is in control. So when we're on the, the mountaintops, we see and enjoy those times. Life unfolds. But in the valleys, let's see God's perspective. And as we do, a joy will accompany you. But when you roll up your sleeves, and you take on life and, and you say, I'm going to do it my way or I'll do it without God, sometimes you will get what you want. But joy won't be a byproduct of it. The only way we can enjoy life is to find God's gift of happiness in Jesus Christ. We need to be able to greet each day the way the psalmist did in Psalm 118. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice, let us be glad in it. The light is pleasant, it is good for the eyes to see the sun. Indeed, if a man should live many years, let him rejoice in them all and let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. Everything that is to come will be futility. <coughs> Verse 9 is where Solomon's second instruction comes in. And that is another rejoice. We have rejoice, rejoice, remove, remember. The second rejoice is rejoice, young men. Now, I wondered who is young according to Solomon. I don't know what age he was at when he wrote this. But in my case, if you're under 30, you're young. 
probably in Kevin's case, I'm young. It's all, it's all in a perspective. But I want you to pay extra attention to what the Lord has to say in these verses, even the young at heart. Verse 11, uh, sorry, chapter 11, verse 9. Rejoice, young men, during your childhood, and let your heart be pleasant during the days of your manhood, and follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes. We'll leave it there. Young people, enjoy the blessings of this life. Your bodies are strong, they're getting stronger. Your hearts are full of good cheer and easy laughter. The future is still full of possibilities. There's freedom still to take risks and and time to go in a new direction that you might want to go in. Young people, you still dare to dream dreams. You still dream that you can make a difference in this world. So let your heart be pleasant during the days of of your young manhood. Follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes. Follow those things as young people. These are all reasons for young people to rejoice. But once again, Solomon sounds a cautionary note. Why? Because when Solomon says, follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes, I'm sure most of you thought, well, that's a bit dangerous. That could lead people to wanton pleasures. And so to make it clear that young people are called to, called to holiness... Solomon says at the end of verse 9, follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes, yet know that God will bring you to judgment for all these things. Young people, enjoy life. But make sure you have fun within the moral boundaries that God has established. You are still accountable for your choices before God and in fact God will bring you to judgment as you follow your desires and your heart if they're not according to God's principles. Solomon is reminding us that every time we follow our hearts and do what looks good to us, we all have to answer to God for what we've done. All of us, whether we're young, but especially the young, should beware of the lust of the the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Now Solomon doesn't say God will bring you to judgment for all these things to suck the joy out of life. It's not why he's saying it. He's not saying it to give the impression that he's out to get you as young people. Solomon says it because he wants to remind us that we, that we live before God and we are called to rejoice in God. What is the chief end of man? To love God and to enjoy him forever. And you can still follow the impulses of your heart. You can still follow the desires of your eyes, remembering that you are loving God. Rejoice responsibly. Enjoy life's pleasures, but not in sinful ways. Celebrate the gift of youth. But at the same time, we need to follow God's command from 2 Timothy 2, verse 22. Easy to remember, all the twos. Flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Young people, flee youthful passions but pursue righteousness is basically what Solomon is saying. 
After all, this call for the older and the younger, for the people to rejoice, after this he gives the third R. Solomon calls us to remove. I found this verse probably the hardest amongst all the verses. Verse 10, So remove grief and anger from your heart and put away pain from your body because childhood and the prime of life are fleeting. So young people, remove grief, remove anger, put away pain. The prime of life is not going to last forever. It is going very quickly. And most of us who are still a little bit out of the prime of life on the other side say, where did that go? But with these words, Solomon is advising us to eliminate the bad things in life and the trouble that beholds our bodies and our souls. Now I think we can all agree that life is full of grief, it's full of anger, it's full of physical pain. And it goes without saying whether from illness or accident or disability, we all suffer bodily pain. But once again, Solomon is honest about the troubles of life, both physical and psychologically. And what does he say? He simply says, remove them, because life is fleeting. Now, I don't think he means to give a call to deny the very real suffering that everyone experiences, nor is it a call to escape pain by living uh, for pleasure. I think it's a call to take care of our mental and physical health. So how do we do that? How do we remove grief and anger from our heart? How do we put away pain from our body? Well, I'm going to be a little bit blunt here. And the first thing I believe that we need to do to remove grief and anger and pain is to, is to stop, refu- or stop feeling sorry for ourselves. Stop having a pity party. Rather than dwelling on all the things that go wrong, we should count our blessings. Count our blessings, name them one by one, and you will be surprised at what the Lord has done. But when we're going through something, we tend to focus in on the negative. I think it's just human nature, but it doesn't have to be. So being blunt, the first thing is to do is to, to refuse to feel sorry for ourselves. <clears throat> the second thing we need to do is Seek the care of a pastor or the counsel of Christian friends. Brothers and sisters, that's what we're here for, to bear one another's burdens. And so we need brothers and sisters in Christ who are sympathetic to our situation, but more importantly, who are also able to see our situation for what it is and tell us what we need to hear, especially from the Scriptures. So we need our brothers and sisters. We need each other bearing our burdens. We need to be able to talk to someone who understands. But the very best remedy remedy for removing grief and anger is to go to God in prayer. We need to tell him all our troubles. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 4 and we'll look at verse 6. I really do love the way that the Old Testament is ratified or redone in the New Testament. What we can read and what Solomon says 
about uh, removing these things. Paul now picks up and he says in, uh, in Philippians uh, 4 verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The command is then followed by a promise. You have a promise if you do that. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, if you're like me, I hand them over to God, then I take them back. I do that so often. I I give them to God, then I continue to worry about them. After giving, giving them, we're supposed to be not anxious. We're supposed to be able to have the peace of God. And so obviously, at times, I do things wrong. I'm not giving them over to God. I think I am, but I'm not. I take them back and start to work on them on my own. And Solomon is saying the same thing. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. You won't even understand why you have peace. will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The biblical way of removing grief and anger is to cast your cares upon God. If your suffering are physical, it's right and it's good for us to seek a way to ease pain. I am not for one minute, and Solomon's not saying for one minute that you don't, to remove pain, you just pray about it. You go and see a doctor. There's medication. It's right and it's good for us to seek a way to ease the pain, but we give it over to God. We pray about the doctors. We pray for the doctors. We ask that the Lord would guide the hands of the doctors and their understanding of our pain and give us some relief. Sometimes there's no relief. And I've had that firsthand with with my wife. But all we can do is ultimately remember that it's in God's hands. Does that help the pain itself? No, it doesn't. Sometimes the pain is there. But if the pain is there, at least you know who holds your life in his hands. And so what Solomon is doing is help us to make the most of out of the life, whether we have pain or grief. Don't spend the, the prime of your life with anger or with grief because the prime of your life is short-lived. And if you young people don't know what awaits you when the prime of life has fleeted, I think I've made a new verb, but that's all right. When the time of life has gone, the prime of life, sorry, then Solomon makes it now very clear what's going to happen. And it comes as a call to remember, the, the fourth R. Rejoice, rejoice, remove, remember. Look at chapter 12, verse 1. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, still talking to the young people, before the evil days come and the years draw near where you will say, I have no delight in them. So what Solomon is doing here is calling young people to a life of God-centred living, making the God who made the universe 
our first and highest priority. Remember also your Creator. That word remember is not just bringing to a reminder. Oh yeah, I remember there was a God once. It's a, it's a knowledge of Him. It's a living His a life through Him. Remember also the Creator in your days of your youth. This verse, chapter 12, verse 1, is the key to all other things that he's called us to do in this passage. For example, the reason we're able to rejoice in our, young, uh, our years of life, whether they be long or short, is because every day is a gift from our Creator God. So remember the Creator God as you go through your day. The reason we need to walk in holy ways as the young people seek to the pleasures is because our maker, our creator is also the judge. The best remedy for any pain or grief is to cast our care upon God who made us and knows all about what we're going through. And so everything that Solomon says in this passage assumes and requires this close presence of God in your life. Do you have that close, personal presence of God in your life? Do you live your whole life for him, including Monday to Saturday? It's easy to say we live our whole life for him when we come to church on a Sunday, but do you live your whole life for him? Are you mindful of God in every circumstance? Do you include God in all your plans? Or do you say, I can do this one, God. We've got it. We've got it down pat. Do you praise Him for His blessings all day? Do you pray to Him through all your troubles? Or again, do you say, I'll pull up my socks and I'll, I'll, I'll get going? We need to remember God when we're at home. We need to remember God when we're at school. Remember Him when we're outside in His creation. Need to remember him if we're in the kitchen or in the bedroom. Remember him when we're working, when we're playing. Don't forget about God, but remember him in everything you do. And to help prove his point, Solomon gives us one of the most memorable poems in the Bible. The poem is about the reality of mortality. A literature professor would call this poem a character sketch or a generalised and figurative description of old age in its physical manifestations. It also happens to be the most beautiful poem ever written about growing old. So the time to remember your Creator is before the evil days come. What are the evil days? I think maybe we thought about evil as in sin. Solomon's calling the evil days starting in verse 2, before the sun and the light, the moon and the stars are darkened and clouds return after the rain. This is the time to remember. Time to remember in the days of youth, before the sun and the light, the moon and the stars are darkened, the clouds return after the rain. And if you take the context as being the mortality of man, you understand that this this compares the troubles of old age to the gathering storm. Both night and day are darkened by clouds and after the rain falls, the storm clouds gather again. This is what happens as we grow old. When we're young, there's still time for the sky to clear, but when we're old, we suffer one trouble after another. 
usually with little time to recover from trouble to trouble. And then verses 3 to 5 compares an elderly person to a house that's slowly crumbling with decay. I had real joy in doing this little poem. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come. Verse 3, in the day that the watchmen of the house tremble. This means that the arms shake and the hands shake and you become feeble. And mighty men stoop, refers to shoulders, legs and back slumping and becoming feeble. Your knees buckle when your belt won't. Your back goes out more than you do. Then you've got the grinding ones, stand idle because they are few. Speaks of the scarcity of teeth. You sink your teeth into a stake and they stay there. And those who look through windows grow dim. Means your vision is suffering as you're growing old. Or if prefer, your arms are shrinking. Because they're just not long enough to hold out. In verse 4, Solomon says, And the doors on the street are shut as the sound of the grinding mill is low, referring to loss of hearing. And to make matters worse, Solomon writes, And one will arise at the sound of the bird, and all the daughters of song will sing softly. These two phrases mean that as we age, we'll struggle to sleep, we'll wake up early. Furthermore, our voices will quiver and they'll weaken, we'll be hard to hear. In 12.5, Solomon says, Furthermore, men are, afraid, men are afraid of a high place and of terrors on the road, the fear of injury due to frailty. The almond tree blossoms, referring to our hair turning white. The grasshopper drags himself along. Typically, a grasshopper springs into the air, so a grasshopper dragging itself along the ground is a goner. And the caperberry is ineffective. The New Living Translation says, and the caperberry no longer inspires sexual desire. In other words, you turn out the light for economic rather than romantic reasons. And I'll leave that where it is. Now, I'm sure the young people are laughing, but the same fate awaits us all. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before those days come. And it's not just about growing old. It's about death. Look at the end of verse 5 into verse 7. Why are we to remember the creator in the days of our youth? The end of verse 5 says, For man goes to his eternal home while mourners go about the street. Verse 6, remember him before the silver cord is broken and the golden bowl is crushed. The pitcher by the well is shattered and the wheel at the cistern is crushed. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Wonderful descriptions of death. The silver cord broken, the golden bowl is crushed, the pitcher is shattered, the wheel of the cistern is crushed all referring to death, you and I are going to die. And those verses are to be a sober reminder of life and death that everyone has to face in a fallen world. 
And so Solomon finishes verse, with verse 8 with that thought. He says, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanities. But Solomon says, if you remember, to remember your creator. Remember your creator now before all these things happen. In fact, getting to know our creator before we grow old and die is the most important thing that you could ever do. In closing, I just want to remind you that the great thing is not that we remember our Creator, although of course we are called to remember Him, but the great thing is that God remembers us. Now and forever He remembers us all of our days. And Jesus has promised to remember us from now until the last of our days and He will raise, up, raise us up into everlasting life. Amen? Now this book of Ecclesiastes has been a wonderful book and we have one more, one more uh, sermon to go before the end. But in summing it up a little bit, it's characterised by two phrases, vanity of vanities and under the sun. And by utilising these phrases, Solomon uses satire He's used irony, he's used tongue-in-cheek statements and he's used reality like today as a way to force fallen humanity to come to grips with the fleeting frailty and hopelessness of life without God. That's what he's trying to bring across to us. And so Solomon speaks the words that he has as he seeks to drive us to the conclusion that the Lord... The eternal God is the only one who can bring meaning, hope and joy to our lives. Yet in spite of the brevity of life, it is fleeting. And in spite of the disappointing nature, apart from God, life is good. And it's meant to be enjoyed with God. That's the whole idea, to love God and enjoy him forever. The fact is, as Christians, we don't have anything to fear simply because we're growing older. In fact, if our faith is firmly fixed in the Saviour, then we can count on him to the end of the road. And there, he will greet us. What a joy. And that's why we can sing, There is sunshine in my soul today. More glorious and bright than glows in any earthly sky, for Jesus is my light. There's sunshine, blessed sunshine, when the peaceful, happy moments roll, when Jesus shows his smiling face, there is sunshine in my soul. That's what Solomon is getting at. You wake up in the morning, there is sunshine in your soul today. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the knowledge that we have been given through the wisdom of Solomon and through the Spirit of God. And Father, we can indeed rejoice in the waking up each morning. We can rejoice in the knowledge that, Father, we are to put off the grief and the anger and the pain, remove them by giving them to you and leaving them in your care. We can rejoice 
in our youth as we remember our Creator. We are so blessed to understand that with you, life is joy. We are to rejoice in the Lord always. Lord, we do go through the ups and the downs. We understand that, Lord, but I thank you that you've given me brothers and sisters to be able to share with and to be able to share a burden. I thank you that you've given us prayer that as we leave that in your care and not take it back, that we will receive peace above all our understanding. As we give it to you with thanksgiving in our hearts and literally leave it with you. So, Father, it's a great joy to be able to read this passage, understand that old age is coming and that, Father, if there's someone here this morning who has never accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour, I pray that the Spirit of God would work in their life and not let them have peace at all until, Father, you have drawn them to yourself. And I ask it in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.